Minehead Baptist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday the 25th of February 2024. Hello and welcome, thank you once again for joining me. My name's James and I'm the web guy here at NBC. This week Paul concluded our series looking at the wisdom of Proverbs and he looked at holiness. The reading are Proverbs chapter 9 verses 1 to 6 and chapter 5 verses 7 to 9. So we'll go and join Paul as he's introducing the service. Good morning and welcome to Minehead Baptist Church. Welcome if you've been here once, this is your first time, or welcome if you've been here hundreds and this is your, well, too many to count time. The notices for the week are as per the sheet that we have, and there is only one additional notice, which is to say we have a couple of birthdays. So although he's not here, if, if uh, Luke and Becca could say happy birthday to William for us, that would be awesome. I'm assuming he's going to have lots of cake and cards and stuff later on if he's not had already. Um, but from us, could you wish him happy birthday? And suffice to say that Roy at the back, Roy had a zero birthday this week. Is that right, my friend? 60. 60. <laughs> Can I just say, Roy, my 60th birthday is this week. One of us has worn better than the other. <laughs> I'm not going to say which way round it is, though, for fear of offending a brother. So happy birthday to Roy for his nth birthday this week. And, and as a church family, we, we always celebrate those O's, don't we, by singing happy birthday. And it was Jeff's birthday this week. That wasn't a no, was it, Jeff? Not yet. <laughs> Close. <laughs> so we've got William and Jeff and Roy, and, and we're going to sing happy birthday to them. Uh, you can sing the names in whatever order you want, but I'll go William, Jeff and Roy. Is that okay? <laughs> Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear William, Jeff and Roy, happy birthday to you. Congratulations. Incidentally, William, Jeff and Roy does sound like some strange 60s beatnik band, doesn't it really? Friends, it's good to worship with you. It's good to come to before our holy God, to acknowledge the reality of who he is, to give ourselves two seconds of space, and in the space to come before him and say, we are here, Lord. Once we've had our quiet moment of space, Paul is going to lead us in a call to worship, and our worship group bring us to the point of worshipping the Lord. With the train of his robe filling the temple, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The dilemma of a holy God who longed for relationship with sinful mankind. The solution the greatest price that God could possibly pay. Man reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Let's worship him with that lovely hymn, crowned him with many crowns. And after that, a short time of open worship, and by open worship I say open worship and not intercession. Uh, can we take the offering as well while we have Thursday? Father, we just uh, pray you bless our young people. Thank you for them. Father, we know that uh, each one of us has that empty gap inside, and there's only one way of filling it, and that's through you. And just pray that they'd find that thing that will satisfy Jesus in their lives. We pray that for each of us, Father, whatever the emptiness is inside us, that you would just fill it and be with us. Amen. Amen. Right, so if the youngsters would like to go out now.
Okay, if we, as we continue our worship, maybe we could just um, quieten our hearts for a moment as we, as we carry on. And uh, then we'll sing as we seek your face. So we just take a moment in God's presence just to focus on him again. The psalmist says, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I'll play the first um, verse, and, and we'll come in after, after I play the, the first one through. Friends, we come in prayer, in our prayers for the world, in our prayers of intercession. It's a responsive prayer. The words within our darkest night, let us all respond together, let your light shine. Let us pray. Within our darkest night, let your light shine. God of all creation, You hold the depths of the earth in your hands, and yet you are closer to us than the air that we breathe. Fill our souls with your wonderful love and light, we pray, and give us courage to reflect that love and light in the world to our community. Let us never shrink back from who we are in you or hide our light inside ourselves. Renewing us a sense of joy, we pray. Painting the dark shadows that surround us with your light, your love and your salvation. We cry out to you today, Lord, for a world too often darkened by hatred, evil, power and greed. And we say, embolden us. So that the love of the Lord, the light of the Lord, may be seen in my head and the far may spread the world over. Within our darkest night, let your light shine. God of power and might, your broken world cries out from the very depths. A world dominated, it seems, by the darkness of war, terror, pain and suffering. We think of the ongoing conflicts in Gaza, in the Ukraine, in Somalia, all different to each other in so many ways, but where all have one thing in common. We pray that the light of the Lord Jesus Christ might shine in the darkness to those who are in pain and anguish, to those who've had to flee their homes, their countries and their livelihoods, to those who risk their lives, desperate for a new start, free from fear and war. May they see, Lord, your light, feel your strength and power and know the truth of your promise. That the light has always shone in the darkness and the darkness has never overcome it. And that they and we, Lord, who know you, shall never be overcome by the dark shadows of life or the darkness of human nature if we and they rest in you. Within our darkest night, let your light shine. God of compassion and grace, we share with you our love and concern for people in a dark place today. We have on our hearts the friends and loved ones that we know that have been victims of violence and hatred. 
We pray that they will find your strength in the compassion and love of those around them. And Lord, we boldly say, let us be part of that which brings their light, your light, into their world. We pray for the persecuted church the world over. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage, not just to think, would we stand if persecution came here to that extent, but give us the courage to stand with them in this moment from where we are and cry out to all who have influence, enough. No more persecution of the Lord's people. Let your light shine through the darkness of all their pain and their suffering. Within our darkest night, let your light shine. God of life, we ask for your healing power on those we know who are enduring pain and illness, sickness and suffering this morning. I invite you to bring before the Lord those you know to name them quietly in your heart. Father God, we pray healing, Lord, that you would heal those who are, in suffer, who are suffering pain and illness and who are sick this morning. We pray that you would draw close to those who are, who are in grief, who've recently lost loved ones. We pray with those who weep this morning, those who feel lonely this morning, those, Lord, who feel so far away that they feel isolated. We embrace the joy for ourselves of knowing you as our Lord and Saviour and we pray for them that they will know your joy too. We know your everlasting light shines within us in moments of great sadness and of great joy and we pray that to our community we may shine no matter what our circumstances so that all may know, no matter what, you are there. Within our darkest night, let your light shine. God of love and hope, renewing us a deeper sense of who we are in you. Help us to be aware of your presence each and every day. Make us instruments of love and praise. May our words, our action, and our very lives be examples of our living, light-shining Lord. Examples of your forgiving, your healing, and your life-giving love. And may the walls of this church break down, Lord, because the world comes to see and know that you are Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lorraine's going to read scripture for us. Okay, the reading is taken from Proverbs chapter 9 and verses 1 to 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. And the second reading, Proverbs chapter 5, and verses 7 to 9. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others. And your dignity to the one, to one who is cruel. Thank God for His words. And our next song, if you'd like to stand, is "Speak, O Lord."
Speak, O Lord, and by grace we'll stand. Anyways, that's a great summary of the next 20 minutes or so, but we're going to look at these pillars of wisdom. And the first one, remember the seven pillars of wisdom? Guys, could you put the... Thank you very much, it's cool. Um, The seven pillars of wisdom, what are they? Proverbs chapter 9. Now, we're not told what they are, and you could find some other candidates for what they might be, I'm sure, if you did your studies in the book of Proverbs. Um, But what we've looked at are the seven pillars that, from my study, my sense of source, are important to us. In fact, they're the ones that are there in Proverbs. We've looked at the following. We've looked at trust and integrity and generosity, and diligence, and apples of gold, that is to say, in settings of silver, that is to say, the words that come from our mouths, and community, the importance of community, and lastly but not leastly, the seventh pillar, holiness. Now, he doesn't tell us what the pillars are, Solomon, but it is clear, if you read the book of Proverbs, that his understanding is that these pillars of wisdom lead to life. They're fundamental, Solomon would argue, to be having a life that's God-filled. So it is important that we understand them because actually, if you look at that list, doesn't that describe the characteristics of Jesus himself? Trustworthy, full of integrity, generous, diligent in the work of his Father, speaking words that are apples of gold in setting of silver, living in community with the disciples and seeking and being holy. So Solomon gives us these amazing seven pillars and Proverbs teaching us that a life of wisdom is characterised by this word called holiness. Now, remember the reading Lorraine gave from us a short while ago, Proverbs chapter 5. If you mull that over in your head a bit, if you can, and add to it the words that Solomon writes in chapter 4, Verses 10 to 14, where he writes this. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along the straight path. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Solomon here, and in that reading from chapter 5, is talking about holiness. It is so important that I want to point something out to you. Last couple of weeks we've talked about taking our slippers off and putting our walking boots on. Well, I don't know about you, but if you go out in the wet and you've got your slippers on, it's not long before your feet are wet or your slippers are ruined, or both, correct? Think of those words. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run. Ever tried to run in slippers? (laughs) Yeah, I've tried that too. (laughs) Trying to catch up with someone that's just... can't really run very well, can you? The appropriate footwear for the appropriate time, we might say. If this church is serious about bringing the walls of the church down, then we need, according to that verse, the right footwear on. And can you therefore see that Solomon is not suggesting that holiness is just a wise kind of thing, that the wise seek holiness, and it's okay if you don't. But more particularly, it's vital that we do. And if you want to know how vital, think of the puppets. I heard you clap. Because in representation terms, it was a wonderful example of why people need the Lord. The truth of the matter is, not that there aren't uh, uh, that many, many people out there that are trying to resist the Lord. The truth is, which the enemy would have you believe, that they all don't want to know. The truth is, there are many out there that need the Lord. They just don't know they need him. Who's going to tell them, if not you and I? Well, okay, so holiness, come on. Okay, Paul, yeah, you say holiness is 
we need to be holy. But what on earth does being holy mean? Now, if I gave everyone here a piece of paper, I'm not going to do this before anyone panics, right? And I said, write on that bit of paper what you think holy conduct is. I suspect what we'd end up with is as many different answers as there are people in the room. So where do we go to? So I turned to what I've turned to many times in the past when I think, what does the word mean? A dictionary. Sounds a good place to start, doesn't it? So a dictionary is, this is an online dictionary. Many other dictionaries are available, I guess. But this is what it says. Oops, sorry. There you go, just to prove I didn't get the slides right. Holy, belonging to, deriving from, or associated with a divine power, sacred. And it then gives six examples of definition. Firstly, regarded regarded with or worthy of worship or veneration, revered, a holy book. Got that? Or secondly, living according to a strict or highly moral religious or spiritual system, saintly, a holy people. Okay? Or third, specified or set apart for a religious person, a holy place. Okay, we didn't end there, just let you know. Fourth, solemnly undertaking sacrosanct, a holy pledge. Okay, but it didn't end there. Regarded as, fifth option, regarded as deserving special respect or reverence, the pursuit of peace is our holiest quest. It's the example it gave. And sixth, informal use as an intensive. I don't know about you, and maybe you are amazingly clever, but that lot left me going, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? Specifically that sixth one, informal use as an intensive. What? Well, I'm sure someone will tell me later. What does it mean? I didn't understand the definition. So, luckily on my shelf, I have the Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. (laughs) Hey, I thought, oh well, give it a go. But it did help me. So in that great tone, here is the definition of holy. It said, holiness is from the Greek word haglasmos. I hope you said that right. Translated holiness, that's the word. And it signifies A, separation to God. And B, the resultant states, the conduct benefiting those so separated. That's better that helped me more. Proverbs 9 reading tells of a wise woman. Do you remember? We've had it seven times now. And she builds those pillars of wisdom. And if you read the whole of Proverbs 9, you also see more, more of the action of a foolish woman who does not. And Solomon explores this sense of wisdom and foolishness through these two women. And he's saying that the wise separate themselves to God. Deliberately, the wise go towards God, recognizing that we are His. And the foolish separate themselves from God. Or to put it in maybe more modern English, you have a choice this morning. You can walk towards God or away from God. And you might say there's a third choice I stand still. But the challenge you face there is God's the same yesterday and forever and he's constantly moving his church on and therefore you stand still, you'll be further away. Your choice is do you move towards him or do you move away from him? Paul in 1 Corinthians sums it up better than me. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. The truth of the matter is, I cannot begin to tell you how much it cost our Lord to buy my freedom. Because it cost him his son. And the same is true of you. But more than that, Paul reminds us that our conduct or behaviour is affected by that separation. We either walk towards God or away from God. And he reminds us that that's true, that we're all affected by that. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. 
Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Awesome gospel words. So how does this holiness thing happen? Happen? What are we called to do? Well, firstly, according to Solomon, we're called to imitate a holy God. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Psalm 99 verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. I read a wonderful article this week, written by someone that dared to share with an atheist the fact that there are times in their Christian journey, without naming them, I don't think that's right, the times in their Christian journey where they doubt, is the Lord real? Did he really die for me? Could that really be possible? And the atheist said to him, well, I never doubt there's, not a, there's no God. To which this chap said, I'll pray for you and I pity you because doubt is my friend. Doubt builds my faith. Doubt makes me seek the Holy One. It's a beautiful article because it's juxtaposed to everything we might think. We think if we've got doubts, we're not as good as the man next to me or the woman next to me. Truth to tell, everybody doubts. And Solomon says, but doubting's not the issue. Go towards the one who's the Lord. Psalm 99, again, verse 9. Exhort the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. There's no doubt that God is perfect in his holiness. He's without fault. And the reason that we're not allowed into his presence until the blood of Jesus cleanses us is that because our sin is is, sorry, that blood of Jesus cleansed us is because unless our sin is dealt with we would cease to live in the awesome purity of his holiness I love that image dirty, scruffy, Paul McCabe comes before the Lord and he goes, but you're clean and I go, but I'm scruffy but he goes, but Jesus died for you didn't he and cleansed you then you're clean It's a wonderful image because it doesn't rely upon what I can do. It relies upon what Jesus has done. Beautiful imagery. Or, again, Scripture puts it better than me. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy imitation is the sincerest form of flattery someone once said imitation is also the ultimate act of worship what's worship at its core following God's holiness imitation is the ultimate act of worship and yet why do so few seek to imitate God as an act of worship. Why do so few seek to imitate God's holiness? Imagine if this morning we had all turned up and said, no matter what, we're going to follow God and follow his holiness and follow where he goes. Imagine what church would be like for one moment. Why do so few seek God's holiness? Why do we so few seek to imitate it? I'd argue it's because particularly if you're outside the church, you rarely see the real thing in action. You rarely see the church of Jesus Christ seek God's holiness, rather something else entirely. And that must be a reflection of you and I. When was the last time you did anything to seek, and I mean really seek, God in all his holiness? When was the last time you gave anything up that is so often described to me as normal life, just to spend some time seeking God. 
When was the last time you made the Lord number one in your life and not number two or number 20? Let alone, when was the last time you let the holiness of Christ shine through you in such a way that you were the light of Christ for someone else? C.S. Lewis wrote this. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one, thi- when one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Holiness does not comprise of some sort of mystic speculation or enthusiastic fervour, or dare I say on the fact that I'll probably be told off by the time I get to the church door for my coffee, even in Lent, giving up something for 40 days, unless God commands it. Holiness is not that at all. Holiness comprised as thinking as God thinks, willing as God wills, doing as God does. Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, says this from verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Many years ago now, I was asked to go to a church and talk to them where two sides were in conflict. The church wasn't large, it was about 15 people, but they were in conflict. When you sat down with one group, they went, this is the problem with the church and it's all their fault. And you'd sit down with the other group and literally they would say, this is the problem with the church and it's all their fault. Why me? Why this, what was then just this elder at this church on the south coast? Why on earth was I asked to go and do that? Well, because everybody else had failed. So, you know, it was literally, I remember the the regional ministry said, well, you might as well give it a go. It was kind of that kind of conversation. Do you know, the only thing that church ever agreed on was that they couldn't be bothered and they all agreed to shut That's a reality. That happened. That's a real-life church, dear friends. And so in one sense, okay, let us not devour each other. But let us build each other up and love each other. We are not free to sin. We have been set free from sin with a purpose to imitate a holy God. We're not free to sin, we've been set free from sin, and we're set free from sin to imitate God. Secondly, we're called to encourage each other. Proverbs 9, 3 to the first bit of verse 4 says this, She has sent out her servants, incidentally she here is wisdom. Remember I said it was wisdom and foolishness, this is wisdom. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. The key scripture that we've been using these last seven weeks has at its heart this sense of the wise crying out to the simple to be saved. And you're going to say, what's that got to do with my head? Friends, we should be crying out to our community. Our hearts should be breaking for the lost. We need simply to tell them. And in order to do that, we must encourage one another on to the wisdom of holy living. Not for our sake alone, but also for the sake of those who don't know the Lord. You see, the truth is, the community that we live in needs to see you and I living in holiness The question is not, do they need to see it? But are we living in holiness? And are we prepared to show them?
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 24 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What a church it would be if every Sunday came, someone came up to you and went, Sister, brother, I know how to spur you on. Wouldn't that be really good? When was the last time you went and someone encouraged them then? Let us spur one another on. Now, if I said to you, what is Tommy's favourite author, what would the answer be? C.S. Lewis, thank you very much. (laughs) I've been paying attention to young Thomas. C.S. Lewis wrote an amazing book. If you've never read this book and you think theological books are dull... Don't put your hand in the air. If you think theological books are dull, I want to invite you to read this book. It is awesome. Some of you have going to read it before. It is the Screwtape Letters. It is just an awesome book. And if you want to know what the screw, that's a picture of Lewis, because I thought you might like to know who he is. Um, and if you wonder what the Screwtape Letters are, they are this series of, of letters written by an older tempter or devil to a younger sort of apprentice tempter or devil and sometimes the other way back you get the drift it's an exchange of letters and throughout the book okay they refer to Lewis refers to this person called the patient now who is the patient well the patient is in different guises is either someone at church that this tempter is trying to stop doing what the Lord's called them to do or someone that is sort of not doesn't know the Lord yet you get you get the drift it depends upon which of the letters you're reading. Well, you'd have to read the whole thing to see how it progresses. But in the book, he writes this. It's a, an amazing passage. So this is a listen with mother moment. Remember that? Listen with mother? No, Sue's not old enough. I am, Sue, so I suspect you are. <laughs> listen with mother. It would be like this. It would be, you have to get yourself comfortable. This is your moment to have two, two seconds of fidget time. Because Listen With Mother was all about hearing this story told and being invited in. And it used to start like this. If we're all sitting comfortably, then I'll begin. This is Lewis's words. Writing to the younger devil about how he stops someone going to church, Lewis writes this. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out throughout all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners marching for the Lord. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But unfortunately, sorry, but fortunately, it's quite invisible to these humans. All they will see is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. In his words, Lewis was raising a question. And it's a question that he and Solomon might raise and ask here this morning. So here's a hard question, okay? Were C.S. Lewis's patient to have come to NBC this morning, what would they have found? A group of people doing church or a group of people being church? What would they have found? What were your concerns personally when you came to church this morning? Would they have found people concerned about whether they'd sung enough of the songs that they like? People concerned whether the Bible reading was read accurately as they followed it on the screen. People concerned whether the preacher was not too lengthy, or for that matter made any sense at all. People concerned whether they managed to get something out of the service. People concerned because their main thought was, I'm not getting out of my seat and doing coffee. What would they have found? Would they have found that church or would they have found a group of people who are seeking the Lord in holiness together? It's a tough question, isn't it? But one we must face. 
Because, bluntly speaking, if you go to a church that's arguing amongst itself, that's determined to worry about the coffee, determined to worry about the Bible readings, the worship, the where I sit, the where you are, the how I look, determined to worry about the preacher, whether he's good or bad, determined to worry on that level, then frankly, that's the church that's easy to ignore. And people will walk in, but they'll also walk out. If the church, this church, seeks God in all his holiness, do you know what will happen? It becomes impossible to resist. And that has happened here. Without outing them, because they're here this morning, it's true to say in my time, at least one person's come here and gone, I don't know why I'm coming. <laughs> but there's something about this church. And they're not referring to the fact that the coffee's good. They're referring to the fact that his people are seeking him in holiness. We're called friends. We're called most definitely to be some people that encourage each other and seek his holiness. And thirdly, we're called to be people that bring light to an unholy generation. Proverbs 24, 11 to 12 says this, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everything according to what they have done? I don't know if you know the name of George Gallup. You probably don't know, but you probably do know what George Gallup was famous for inventing. He was the man that came up with the statistical formula for the Gallup poll. You heard that on the news? This is an American statistician and a Christian. Okay, it was a Christian that invented the way that we measure political parties. Anyway, he was giving a, a, a talk about measuring public opinion to a Baptist conference in the 1960s. And this is what George Gallup said to this group of Christians then. We find, oh, incidentally, I should tell you that he'd been asked to speak, having done across the whole of the southern half of America his own Gallup poll about Christians. Got that? So, this is the guy that's the, the premium kind of worldwide renowned standard for measuring large groups of people. And he'd been asked to measure Christians across southern America. Now, I know it's American, okay, before anyone tells me off. But. This is what he said. We find there is very little difference in the ethical behaviour between churchgoers and not those who are not active religiously. The levels of lying, cheating and stealing are remarkably similar in both groups. Eight out of ten Americans consider themselves Christian, Gallup said. Yet only about half of them could even identify the person who gave the Sermon on the Mount... And fewer still could recall five out of ten commandments. Only two in ten said that they would be willing to consider suffering for their faith. Staggering, isn't it? But friends, it's not as if 21st century Britain's got any better. If we want to break down the walls of this church, and yes, this is me pouring out my heart to you at the end of this series, and I acknowledge that, right? If we want to break down the walls of this church, if we want to reach the, 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 the lost outside, if we truly have a heart to reach a lost generation, then we must understand the importance of personal holiness and seek him with all our heart and at all cost. We say we long to reach out to a broken world. We say we love each other. We say we love the Lord. But half of us are not prepared to profess the fact that we're Christians outside the confines of this building. Many more aren't prepared to serve each other, however God calls us to serve, or even give any more time to God. And I want to share a very personal story. I once went into the church, not here, um, on one Monday morning, 
to discover, as was discovered last week, that the toilets had overflowed. And do you know what my immediate reaction was? Okay, who am I going to get to do this? Do you know what God said? I'll show you where the mop is. I was mopping the floor, genuinely mopping the floor. Let's just say I was clearing up stuff that shouldn't have been on the floor. Let's just leave it at that. Mopping the floor. Got it okay, really. I was standing outside, actually, at that point with mop in hand and disinfectant, thinking, what do I do next? Went in through the door. Walks a pastor from America. And he said, hi, glad to see the church is open. 1734 Church, American in the UK, you do the maths. Can I come and see the church? And I went, sure, yeah, let me. So I washed my hands and I walked into the church. And then this guy had one of those sort of um, conscience moments when he said, I'm sorry to disturb you, Mr. Caretaker, I didn't realise. And I went, you're all right, it's okay. He asked me the question, he thought he could then, is the pastor here any good? And I went, well, actually, I am the pastor. You should have seen his jaw drop. So the truth of the matter is, unless you and I are prepared to pick up the mop and go through the toilets and put the disinfectant down, what right have we to say to each other, I love you? Love isn't found when you go, this is wonderful, and by the way, I'm going. Love is found when you say, this is wonderful, and by the way, I'm staying. And yes, this is me pouring my heart out. And I acknowledge that. So let's stop ignoring the holiness thing. Let's get real. We're going to end, but we're going to end with this amazing verse, okay? 1 Peter 2, 11 to 16 says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles who abstain from sinful desires which wage wars against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And if we go no further, can you see this scripture says... They will have a go. It's not as if they won't. But actually, if you're living a holy life, you're going to glorify God to them. Let them escape that one. Peter might write. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. We need to be holy. I was reminded of that story this week because I tried to ring Margaret in the church office. Now you are not like me. You've all got your mobiles organised really well, haven't you? But mine said church office. That's got to be Margaret, hasn't it? So I buzzed the church office and this voice answered, Hello? Hello, who's that? Betty. Betty, do you recognise who this is? No. I was only there eight years, Betty. And I had a conversation with 80-year-old Betty. Morning by morning by morning by morning. Goes into the church to pray. And do the jobs no one else sees. She's loving the church. I said to her, how's it going? And in her own words, I can some... Incidentally, she's got earlier and earlier. I'm not suggesting you do this. Earlier and earlier and earlier. This was about 10 o'clock in the morning. And she said, I've been here since five praying. (laughs) Betty got it, I think. She told me she was fine. She sent her love to Lorraine and... You get my drift? And she was the one that reminded me of the story with the bucket and the mop. That's how we're called to live, as Betty does, as that scripture does. We ought to follow the prompting of Solomon, the teaching of the apostles and the example of Jesus Christ. So the call this morning is a simple one to each of us. To live holy and godly lives. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, can I ask you to remember this? I was speaking this week to, um, to uh, someone that uh, said, oh, with our wedding, you'll know who, Debbie, with our wedding, 
anybody have my lighthouse? Probably you didn't know that, did you? Did you? Okay. And I went, I don't see why not. But it started me thinking about lighthouses. They shine in the darkness, don't they? A holy life makes the deepest impression like a lighthouse. But there's something else a lighthouse never does. It never blows its own horn. It just shines. Can I invite you to seek the Lord in holiness and to shine? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you call us to a life of holiness. A life, Lord, where we are called to separation to you. We deliberately, in our minds, in our hearts, walk towards you this morning. Acknowledge that there have been so many times when we've walked away from you. But in walking towards you this morning, Lord, we give you the thanks and the glory, the praise and the honour. Acknowledging that you are holy God, Lord Almighty. That your holiness is something we long choose to imitate. And so we come before you and simply say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the midst of this morning, friend, respond to him as he would ask you to respond. And in our silence, Lord, in our worship, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lorraine and Paul are going to lead us in a song that talks about that holy Lord. Can I therefore invite you where you are to lift up your voice? And frankly, this isn't an old time of open worship. This is a time when you can take some time with your Lord. And therefore, if 40, 50, 60 people are praying at once, that's okay. It's not about you being heard. It's about the Lord hearing you. And no matter how many prayers there are from here this morning, the Lord hears you. So can I invite you, just as the music carries on gently, to lift up your voice from where you are and give him praise. encourage you to keep on doing that the scripture is read over you keep on seeking the lord keep on raising your voice keep on praising him hebrews chapter 10 said as let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess the hope you are professing now for he who promised is faithful whatever the lord is saying to you in this moment and of this moment he is faithful and as you turn to him separate yourself to god he will be faithful and honest and true in his promises. And let us consider how we may spur one and on, on one another, on towards love and good deeds. May this be the spur of the Lord to lift you to, to the go that says you can.
because I am. Father God, I pray over this church as it prays to you that the I am would come and rest and be and the spirit would flow. That the I am would say I am and therefore you are. That the I am would say I am and therefore you can. That the I am would say I am and therefore dear church, seek me. Father God, we commit ourselves to seeking the great I am, the Holy One. Lift your voice, dear church. With other voices lifted, no one but you and God can hear what you're saying. No one but you and God. You're safe, you're secure, you're where he wants you to be this morning. Lift your voice to the Holy One of Heaven. And as you pray, remember the words of 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. So Father God, over this praying church, I pray Lord, use us to break the walls of this church down. Help us to take off the shoes of the slippers of comfort and put on the walking boots that make us go. Break through, Lord, for every individual and for us collectively. Break through and have your way, I pray. And so over you, dear friend, I pray a blessing and say, may your heart give to the Lord glory and strength. May it say to the nations, to mine head, to your next door neighbour, to your family, the Lord reigns. May this morning our praise and worship be an offering to the Most High. And may he be blessed and glorified. And as we separate ourselves to God and bring ourselves to him, May we worship the Lord and may our praise be a sweet smell of incense around the throne to the Lord this morning. For this week may your life bear the hallmarks of knowing the one who is the King of Kings. Of living and conversation with, in conversation with the Lord of Lords. And being separated for God and to God. For he is God of gods. There is no other name, no other God but him. And may you have the opportunity this week and the boldness to share with someone that Jesus Christ is the King, is the King, our Saviour and our Lord. And may the Lord whisper in your ear when that happens this week. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I come from a church whereby um, originally, this is back in the Seaford days, where someone would have said, Not another Graham Kendrick song. <laughs> Do you know those churches? That would have been my church. But actually, it is really appropriate that at the end of the service we just have, we do sing a Graham Kendrick song. And I thank you for choosing it, although you didn't know I was going to say that, Lorraine, before, no. did you? <laughs> but we'd often go, No. But then when someone chose it and it was really appropriate, we'd remember. The why we used to sing them anyway. We're going to end in some worship led by Paul and Lorraine.
And so, Lord, I pray for all here this morning, for all who are watching online, that the light of the Lord Jesus Christ may show shine through us, that we will shine into the dark world. May your week be blessed. May God draw near to you. May Jesus hold you. And may the Holy Spirit guide you. In his awesome name. To leave a comment, please go to minehead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.